Hi, listeners. Welcome to episode 13 of the Alex Waters Show. I'm your host, Alex Waters. And on this week's episode, I've got Tamara Cook. Uh, Tamara is an extraordinary Perth businesswoman, um, the owner of Known Associates Events Company, and um, also a uh, part of Known Associates Australia, uh, which is a new uh, 100% Indigenous-owned events company in Perth, owned by uh, husband Troy. So yeah, we we got to dive deep in this conversation. Um, it was really really interesting. We talked a lot about Tamara growing up in a family and being the only person of color in that family, and you know the current climate in the world around and topics of racism and COVID and how that's impacted her business. So there's a lot of uh, avenues that we explored in this conversation. I'm not going to go too much into it because there's just so much juice in the actual conversation itself. But I had a lot of fun recording this. Yeah, Tamara's just a just a fantastic human being. So I think you'll you'll enjoy this one. Tamara, thanks for joining me. Welcome. Happy yeah. to be here. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit cold today. So Different colour hair to the last time I saw you, I think. Did I have blue less, hair? Less blue, yeah. I was blue. <laughs> I think so. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I, I think I thought I was blonde and then I went blue and then I've gone back to blonde, but maybe. Well, maybe I saw it on socials, yeah. you know, how they mix together and you don't yeah. really know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. It's, you can see it's kind of got like tinges of blue in at the it moment. Does. So. You know, I was I, I figured out... Um, Last week, I was thinking about this and I'm like, I think the reason it's been so good for me to change my hair is because I have like a million ideas every single day that I want to go and do. But if I keep changing everything about like business and stuff, my life just becomes dysfunctional. So your so hair is changing the key. my hair. Yeah. So I just keep <laughs> changing my hair every and, and that's like my outlet to. That's a good philosophy. Yeah. There's I, power in changing your hair. I don't know if you've noticed, but this is the first time I've had straight hair in a year. I was in London wow. last time I had a blow dryer, so I've been rocking the oh, yeah. tight curls for ages and I just thought I, I had the same thing. I just needed change. So Yeah, cool. Right. So you're naturally blow curly. <laughs> so curly. Yeah. So Afro. How long did it take you to straighten your hair? I can't do it. The hairdresser oh, took yeah. uh, an hour. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <Crazy>. <laughs> yeah, I can't possibly do it myself. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> change needed. Change is good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, super excited to have you into the new setup from the studio. If you're watching on on YouTube, new table and new vibes, and I didn't even notice that. Trying to create, yeah, oh, the the phone, yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> the video, yeah, that's there. So yeah, we've got got some Palo Santo, a little frog. It's a kind of a medicine memento, and um, a few little knickknacks here. Yeah. So we caught up, like we've known each other for probably seven or eight years now. But, you know, we just randomly connected once in the Pilbara when I was working up there and you were running an event for the mm-hmm. company I was working for. Recently reconnected um, as a part of 100 Coffees catch-ups, which was awesome. And um, I thought it'd be really good to get on the show because we were able to talk about a lot of different things. And, yeah, you've got a really fascinating story. And it was your LinkedIn post that we reconnected on, right, which was mm. you were sharing about Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter, and I think there yeah. was an article in the Sunday Times or the West mm. about that. And when we caught up for coffee, you shared that you know you were like the only child of color in a pretty much an all-white family. Yep, growing that's up, right. which yeah. which I imagine most people don't assume that Happens. that's the case in yeah. your life. Yeah, 
Yeah, 100%. No, yeah. People meet me and think that, yeah, I've grown up in some exotic country and or yeah. <laughs> I've got some exotic background. But, you know, I was born in Kenya and my dad is Kenyan, but mum and I left him when I was one and came back to Sydney, to, so mm. back to Australia where she's from, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, and lived with all of her family. We moved in with her grandparents, with yeah. my grandparents, her parents. And, um, yeah, I literally grew up as the black sheep in the family. Mm. And then, yeah, so what the article was um, was just telling a personal story about what it was like growing up in that skin that looked different but I felt so the same as everyone else around me. Mm. But I was treated differently just because of the colour of my skin. So, um, yeah, sharing that lived experience, it was just a little op-ed that I sent to the West and they – I don't know, there's something in there that resonated and um, made people feel a sense of connection and understanding, I think, mm. in that article. And they were compelled to put it on the front page, which just knocked my socks off. <laughs> I had mm. no idea that's where I was going to end up. It was just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And well, then, yeah, there was a lot of um, feedback after that. Yeah. I, I mean, I know for me, like reading it and around that, you know, that time, it's only a couple of months ago now, hearing you know, kind of real life stories of experiences of racism from friends mm. that, you know, just haven't really openly shared their stories over the years or what, whatever else. And I'm just like, wow, it really opened my eyes. Like it, it completely blew my mind. Yeah. And, amazing, um, isn't it? Yeah. So what was it like? You know, tell us what it was like growing up in that environment, in that situation. Like, cause you're just in your, you're just part of your family. You're a child, you know, no different. Like you are human, you are who you are, but then suddenly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of your thoughts and uh, values and uh, a lot of the makeup of the person that you become as an adult is formed when you're quite a young child. Mm. So the experiences that I had, I was really, I call it a coconut which is quite a common term. So brown skin on the outside but white on the inside. So my value system aligned to a quite British family. My grandparents were from Britain, so from London. And, yeah, so white Australia is kind of the culture that I've grown up in, but obviously I looked different. So the outside, not pressure, but the outside attitudes of people were Mm. often put on me because I look different. So instead of just going about my business um, like every other kid, I was constantly asked, where are you from? Are you adopted? Mm. Why does your mum look different to you? Like just those um, preconceived perceptions that I was different in some way because I had different coloured skin. Yeah. You mean from the other kids? From other kids, from other parents, from a lot of people, like just in shopping centres, people would say, oh, when did you get her things like that Mm. to my mum and you know that's in the 70s so a blonde haired blue eyed woman walking around with a dark child they just assumed adoption because there was Mm. no there was no father you know present that they could sort of make all the pieces of the puzzle fit so they'd ask all these questions and jump to assumptions so the impact that that had on my life was I started to feel different because I was constantly told you're different. I was constantly asked, you know, what, what are, where are you from and all these questions. So I started to think, well, why don't I just fit in? Why can't I just be like my mates around me? I didn't really know anyone else of colour, mm. maybe a handful of people, but they weren't kind of in my close circles 
so, I suppose around in the 70s as well, like no one was really traveling internationally as much. I mean, like, there oh, wasn't, there was travel. There's you know, just attitudes. But it wasn't as much of it as there is today. Right? Or, yeah, maybe. You know, not, not today, but. Yeah, yeah not right now. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there's closed off attitudes. Yeah. Just um, people staying in their boxes rather than being more multicultural. Mm-hmm. And Australia wasn't as multicultural as it is today. Yeah. So, yeah. I I formed a sort of chip on my shoulder Mm. because I was sick of people constantly telling me I was different and all these little micro, they call them microaggressions. So it's, it's, it's not a conscious um, racism. People would say, where are you from? They don't consciously want to make you feel other, but that's what they're doing Sure. by just asking that question. They might, you know, genuinely wonder why do you have dark skin? that's different to the rest of your family or different to me or different to the people around us. But being constantly asked that, you just you feel a sense of otherness mm. and you feel like you're not worthy or you feel like you you don't belong. Yeah. So I grew up with that. And, and it's it, crazy because most people are, you know, like I've asked people that question before and it's like I'm just trying to, you know, you're trying to find like commonality to relate in or, or oh, yeah. I've been there or, you know, that kind of thing. I've but asked it myself. Yeah. yeah. I get it. I totally yeah. get it. But it is, it's like the re- repetition over, you know, each person only has a moment with, with you, mm. but you have that repetition over, you know, years, especially as a young kid, it's super impressionable. Yeah. yeah. And there's so many other parts to the person's um, makeup and yeah. personality. So it's kind of boring, like being asked the same yeah. thing all the time. Like ask me about what my interests are. Ask me about where I want to travel to. What I, when I was a kid, what I wanted to be when I grew up. Don't yeah. ask me about how I look. It's just boring. Yeah. Like, it's, what did you want to be? Oh, a singer. A singer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I still want to be a singer. I've got one slight problem with that. Oh, uh, yeah? Can't sing. Can't sing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all right. I'm good at karaoke, but. Um, yeah, there's a really good thing called auto-tune and like, you know. Yeah, you so just... you can sound like Britney Spears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I guess that's that's what it was like growing up. And then as an adult, I yeah had a chip on my shoulder until I went to Kenya and met my dad when I was 29. I finally connected with him which was a a long story in itself and Mm. went over there and realized in Kenya I thought oh I'm going to fit in with Kenya and there'll be you know people who look like me all around me and I'll have uh, my dad and he had I had seven half siblings there um but yeah no I was like a tourist (laughs) everyone's like oh you're so light-skinned oh you can't dance you can't what do you mean you can't crump what do you mean you can't twerk you dance like a white woman (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So I was really, um, yeah, I felt just so different, so different over there. So what was, and what was like, you know, you said you went over there expecting to fit in, you get there, you don't, you know, you don't fit in how you thought you were going to, what was the kind of realization that you had? There? Yeah. So that was probably my aha moment of my life so far. And I just realized that it's not about the place that you're in. It's the people that are surrounding you. I felt so much love from my Kenyan family. They were mm. so welcoming. And the circumstances under which my mum left could have left led my brothers and sisters definitely down another track. Like they should you would expect they'd resent me in some way because mum left them, even though they weren't her children. They were from another marriage. She left them and she left with me and there was no it was all under a shroud of secrecy yeah. when we fled. So, 
Yeah, there could have been a lot of animosity, but there wasn't. There was nothing but love and welcoming and teaching me lots about Kenyan culture and mm. um, wanting me to come back as soon as I could. And yeah, they just welcomed me with open arms. So that was brilliant. And then, um, yeah, when I got home, I have the same thing with my family and friends. And I just, I just got to this point where I thought, I don't need to fit into a certain culture or a certain box to uh, be happy. Mm. And I, I just, yeah, I've just got to just think about the person that I am, the value systems that I have and be me as an individual. And yeah. it, it doesn't matter if people want to say that I'm Kenyan, even though I feel like, you know, people would say, what nationality are you? And I'd say Australian. They'd say, no, you're not. I'll be like, yeah, I am. I've lived here my entire life. My mum's Australian. If you want to know why I've got dark skin, it's because my da- my dad is Kenyan. And he's got dark skin, so I've got some of that. And they'd say, oh, you're Kenyan. I'm like, mm. okay, if that's how you want to think of it, then fine. But I bleed Vegemite. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I got over that frustration really and I, thought, and I just said, yep, this is my parents' history. This this is my parents' ancestry, um, but for me, I feel very much Australian. So mm. please just accept that. But if you don't, then yeah, at least I'd been to Kenya after that, and I could say this is the Kenyan part of me because before I was twenty nine, I couldn't even I'd I'd never been there. I didn't know anything about the country. Yeah, and people were trying to get me to identify with that and label yeah. me Kenyan, and I was like. Oh, it just doesn't how like yeah i was really mad about that for a long time mm. just had attitude not to um kind of diminish you know that as like an issue of like racism but people are obsessed with labels in general true you know like i was i grew up in england i'm white i look as you know i look australian yeah. you know, white australian but people, you know, as soon as people find out I was from England, oh, you're English. I'm like, no, yeah. I'm Australian. Yeah. I've been here my entire life. Listen to my voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, but I suppose it's, for me, it's in about um, understanding that I don't even need to attach to any labels either, mm. you know? So it doesn't matter what labels people try to put on me because none of it, like, none of it, it's just a label. It doesn't really even mean anything at the end of the day. So true. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't affect the way that you work in society and how you or who you are on the inside Mm. yeah 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 100 percent. yeah people can piss off with their labels yeah exactly yeah (laughs) if you're listening right here's a message to you you know who you are (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um so it's been like a couple we're in august now recording this it's been uh i think maybe two or three months since the whole black lives matter matters thing blew up and maybe the article was in in the Mm. press do you think anything in Australia has changed at all as a as a consequence of, you know, the awareness that was raised in that? What else needs to be done now um, towards the issue? From my perspective, and really I can only th- speak about my own personal experience, uh, the conversation is so much more prevalent. So mm. people are really talking about it, asking questions, um, asking how to approach things like if they if they do have that question like they want to ask their black friend where are they from how should they you know coin that question and Mm. um and just yeah just general conversations with friends have been opened up whereas they were quite taboo or probably not even thought about Mm. in the past so I really value that um 
and recognize that that's happening around us. And the media has been really good as well. You're seeing a lot more. I mean, the West Australian has been quite good. They did um, numerous mastheads with Aboriginal art around it for um, it was for NAIDOC week, I think. And yeah, they've just they've you're just seeing a lot more people of color coming through advertising. Um, mm on the covers of um, various magazines, being interviewed where it used to be quite, well, quite white, really, mm. quite white. You'd see the same sort of faces. Or, bo- or boxed in because, you know, they need someone of colour to speak so you get boxed into that. and Yeah, tokenism. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, you see, yeah, I'm seeing a lot more um, representation of different people, different mm. cultures, different looks, yeah. which is great. But, yeah, we've still got a long – I mean, this has been going on for years, this fight um, for equality. And that's all it is, is equality is Mm. at the – you know, you can call it Black Lives Matter, but it's really just people being treated as people in an equal manner. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so we've got a long way to go, but it's definitely – in my world, I've seen changes. Yeah. Yeah, how about you? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think for me, the biggest thing was like, I I personally had a number of like, oh, fuck, or like, aha moments. That's <laughs> the better, way, better yeah. way to say it. Like, oh, fuck moments of like, wow, I had no idea. Or just even the little things like I've, you know, um, one of my best mates, Doug, he is um, uh, half Malaysian, half South Indian. His, you know, his parents from there, he grew up in brunei like where he was the subject of racism there because he was darker skinned and which is crazy but like even like the little jokes that would be made about indian culture and stuff and i've been to i've been to india like love the place and love him to death but didn't realize even in jest how um you know how that was kind of playing into a a bigger narrative Mm. and it's like in order to like, yeah, laughing about things is important in life, but when something's kind of a real serious issue for a long time, I think the opinion I formed of it was that we need, like, we need to kind of like swing, the pendulum needs to swing to one extreme to kind of find its way back to the middle again. True. And, and that's what I realized personally. So yeah, I got quite emotional actually, uh, during that time, just realizing my own actions over a period of time, um, completely un- unconsciously and unaware. Um, yeah, I had a few people write yeah. to me in that same way. So yeah. there's one friend in particular, beautiful, beautiful girl um, who, yeah, I've known for a number of years and she said, I have never heard the term white privilege. I had no idea mm. that I have white privilege. I've been living with it. And she was super ashamed. And she was the, the email was really emotional and I had to say, you know, don't don't feel shame for something not knowing something you didn't you just weren't aware of. If you if you're unaware, you can't be blamed for it. But now you're aware, so make a change. Yeah. So be conscious. And she will. She's the kind of person that that will yeah. actively make a change. But she felt a whole heap of shame, which is it's it's not the intention of the Black Lives Matter yeah. movement for people to feel shame. It's it's the intention for people to be educated and understanding. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I'd heard that term, white privilege, but like had just not identified with it before. I was like, ah, oh, 
I don't feel, pri-, you know, because we're, we're all <laughs> yeah. stuck in our own little bubble. Yeah, I'm like, how am, I, how am I privileged? <laughs> like, you know, I grew up in a pretty low socioeconomic kind of family, struggling middle class, you know, but it's not about that. It's kind of, it's a more structural systemic thing, mm. um, which makes a whole lot of sense to me. Just like, you know, actually, I, w- I was thinking about this last night as I was sort of preparing for this catch up. And I was like, this is the second time I've had a woman on the podcast out of, say, 12 now. So, the you know, the numbers are invariably stacked in the favor of men right now. Mm. And with 100 coffees, it got to like 45 or something. I was like, Fuck, I just need, like, I haven't had that many women on. Not intentionally, but it was just purely a matter of um, me associating with like mm. people like me, which ultimately is more like men. In, yeah. in that scenario, it's just we're both men, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, interesting. And I kind of got thinking that like that's that's almost the same as, you know, that's not how white privilege started, but that's almost how it plays out today. Yeah, is, that's in, a good in analogy. Ways. Yeah. Like yeah. Um, unintentionally just like not being aware of it. And yeah, so I, I had to make a conscious effort to reach out to women to have coffee with because I genuinely wanted to catch up with all kinds of people. Yeah. Um, but for, for whatever reason, you know, the first yeah, 20 or 30. Yeah, yeah. Or just like I hadn't really had that many women reach out to me when I sort of posted about it as well. So okay. um, which maybe says something about other people seeing opportunities in that way as well. True. So, yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, you know, I, I kind of hypothesize that if we had an alien invasion on Earth tomorrow that like we'd all just – forget about it and be like oh shit we're one race do you, do you guys want to work together now <laughs> like, yeah there's no such thing as borders if the whole earth's under attack you know i fantasize that as well about that as well yeah i actually hope that one day and uh, i can't see it happening anytime in the next millennia but <laughs> there's just a melting pot of just cultures coming together and there being such a hard way to differentiate between people by based on their looks mm. just that we, there's so much interracial yeah. connection and reproduction that we can just be one race but yeah yeah sounds very woo woo yeah well i mean <laughs> that's and that's the thing like we really are one race but over time you know as um the continent split and we all got separated certain you know, pigments in people's skin became more prevalent to be, adapt more for the sun and yep. heat. And like, it's just so crazy, isn't it? it to is. think about it. Yeah. But. So, yeah. But um, I think I'm glad we're talking about it. And, and you know, it's an important conversation to be had. And I, I'm definitely um, really, really grateful for the fact that you shared that article. And I've had friends who've since shared their experiences and brought awareness to um to myself so yeah i think those personal stories are the way that really connect with people because if you yeah. if you're not you're not giving an opinion you're just mm. telling your lived experience so it can't be scrutinized yeah and that's important so people telling i always think my story is quite little and people kept on telling me no that was big and that was brave but i don't feel that way i just feel like well this is just how i've lived my life Mm. and I shared that and now I've got kids who are my husband's Aboriginal my kids are Aboriginal so yeah. that adds a whole new layer yeah of yeah prejudice that I fear for them so right that was another reason I wanted to speak out mm. hopefully hopefully prevent that for them yeah yeah I mean um 
you just reminded me, I just had one of the, you know, a friend of mine in the US, uh, Preston Smiles, he was talking about like, the US is a whole different book, like Kettle of Fish, obviously to Australia, but you know, the same kind of issues happen on different levels. Um, and he was, you know, he was saying about like having to have the talk to his son, who's two years old, like when he gets to be 10 or something about how to behave when he's around police and, mm. you know, cause of his color. And I was just, that was another one that just like completely blew my mind. I'm yeah. like, no one ever had a conversation with me that I wasn't safe in public because of who I am. Yeah. You know? I feel exactly the same as you. And I, until this movement started happening, I hadn't really thought about it. But the other day I had a conversation with my 11-year-old who'd been out with some friends and then they'd gone to the shops and one of the, one of the people that was a friend of a friend came and said, oh, I'm going to put this in my jacket and walk out and I said to my son you need just I don't want you hanging out with him at all ever firstly mm. unless it's you know riding around the park which is what they usually do riding around on their BMXs but um I said if if the police came if he got caught and the, the police came you would be looked at differently and it's just a fact and mm. I'd never really like you I'd never really thought about saying that to him mm -hmm. in the past but this movement I mean the whole thing is about the police treating um, everyone equally but it, it is a fact that he would probably look, be looked at differently mm. because of the color of his skin and he needs to be aware of that yeah I mean he's a good kid and he mm. shouldn't be hanging around with kids that are doing things that aren't right yeah but he's I got that extra layer to it I shoplifted when I was a kid did you yeah <laughs> So he did, you know, he's got hope. Well, I don't know. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, didn't, you never got caught though? Nah, I only did it like one. Same kind of situation. I can't even remember if I actually did it or I had friends doing it. It was, it was almost an identical situation. Mm. Like, oh, just cover for me while I slip this down. Like my friend had a cast on or something. He slipped some Listerine. Um, um, yeah, you know those Listerine, Listerine strips. So stupid. Like, I'm <laughs> I don't even want that. Yeah. Um, those like Listerine fresh strips, and he slipped them down his arm, like yeah. his cast, and then we walked out with it. So. Uh, I mean, yeah, when you're a kid at that age, it's just the thrill of doing Trying something. To push the push the boundaries. Yeah, and yeah. you learn. You you. It's coming of age. You're learning. You know what your limits are, what you can and can't get away with. So I get it, but I don't want my son. <laughs> No, Anywhere near under it. understandably <laughs> so. I'd be having the same conversation with my son. Yeah. yeah. You, know, you mentioned your husband, Troy, an ex-Frio uh, Dockers player. And when we caught up, you spoke about how you guys met and sort of everything happened really quickly, mm -hmm. um, which I, you know, related to because my son was born, you know, sort of like 12 months into being with his mother, fell, fell pregnant really quickly. And mm. so, yeah totally related to that journey uh, my my sort of perspective on a lot of relationships moving that quickly now is is a lot of them have come from like a maybe a, a toxic connection place but that's a totally different theme to yours from what you told me so tell us about that whole journey <laughs> Jeez, I really did open up when we had coffee didn't I yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah well oh gosh where do I start so we I was the events manager at the Dockers, events coordinator, and when I was interviewed, they said, you're not allowed to date the players. And I <laughs> said, I'd actually dated an eagle when I was really young, like early 20s. 
and it was a horrible relationship and I had no intention of ever I put all footballers in one yeah, box. I had no intention players. of ever You hear that all dating. the time, don't you? I know, like, I know. Well, yeah, I gave him a bad rap after that relationship. On relationship basis, that's yeah. all. Um, so yeah, I said in that interview I've got no intention of dating a footballer. Don't worry. No interest. I've already got a boyfriend, blah blah. But then I met Troy and yeah, he <laughs> He actually retired before we started dating, so technically okay. I didn't break the rules. But like actually, or is that just a public no, no, story? He, he did. He did. He retired. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah, he started turning up at my. I lived in Northbridge. He t- started turning up at my local, which was the Brisbane, every Sunday, and he knew I'd be there. And yeah. Then, yeah. One day he walked me home, and the next the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. But um. Yeah, in terms of going into parenthood quite quickly, yeah, we'd only been dating five months. Wow. And we had to make a big decision. Yeah. And I was very pragmatic about the whole thing. I was really, I was 20, I was 30, 31 then. So I felt like it was a good time to have a baby. And I just said to him, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have it. And if you want to stay and see where our relationship goes, then great. But um, if you don't, I totally respect that as well. But I really want to have this child. Mm. And my parents had offered to support me. So, yeah, I made, it was scary, but I made that decision alone. And then when I spoke to him about it, you know, it took a bit of weeks of deciding and maybe even months deciding um, what was going to happen. But eventually I moved in with him and we decided to give it a go. And, yeah, a year and a half later we had another baby. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, well. so 14 <laughs> years on now and yeah, it was the best. We, I, I feel like I was really lucky that, I mean, obviously we were already in a relationship, but it was fledgling, but I feel like our child kind of banged our heads together like Cupid and said, you know, you're supposed to be together. Mm. And yeah, luckily we were. Yeah. And things, you know, he's just the greatest guy. I absolutely adore him. So, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's worked out well. Yeah. I know for a lot of people it doesn't. So I kind of feel bad sometimes talking about it, but. Yeah. I don't feel bad about it at all. Yeah. It's it's a beautiful story. Um, Yeah. I mean, what was it like making that decision to like, I'm going to have this baby on my own no matter what. And, you know, you would have had to accept that you were going to basically maybe raise a child alone. Yeah. It was super scary. So my. My mum and my stepdad, my stepdad was quite religious. So as soon as I had told them that I was pregnant, in his mind, there was no other alternative anyway, which, you know, it wasn't his decision, but that was um, definitely something that influenced me, like his his strong prejudice against termination. Mm. Um, but it was what I wanted anyway. So that, their support was what made me think, okay, I can I can do this on yeah. my own. I would have moved back in with them until I yeah found my feet, but they would have helped. Yeah, yeah. So if I hadn't have had them, it might have been a different story. Mm. Um, I still probably would have had it, but it would have been yeah a lot a lot harder. Yeah. But yeah, in my heart, I just it was just what I wanted. I knew that it was meant to be. Never fall. I've only fallen pregnant twice, and I've got two kids, so it's one of those things. Yeah. That I just thought yeah. Huge turning point moment in your life. Yeah. 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 Obviously, because now you've got a family. And, yeah. 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 Yep. And the way it worked out with Troy was just, 
yeah, I just, I w- when I was younger, I mean, like I said, he's Aboriginal, so he's black. And with that whole chip on my shoulder that I said I had in my, all my teens and early 20s, I only dated people who had blonde hair and blue eyes because mm. I wanted to wash away any colour wow, in right. our future children. So they didn't have to deal with what you went through kind of thing. Yeah, which when I think back, that kind of um, way of thinking, just that it's, it's, it's sad. It was mm. really sad. It was a sad way to view potential partners and, and just view myself, my self-confidence and and view I think it was fear for my children growing up with the same sort of bullying that I'd grown up with and yeah same sort of attitude Mm. that I'd grown up with yeah so yeah that that's another layer of it I guess I ended up with a black man (laughs) our kids our kids have got beautiful dark skin and yeah and I yeah I love it yeah and incidentally I met Troy just after I'd come back from Kenya yeah, so I, okay. my attitude really shifted. Insane how things just you know happen the way they're meant to, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep. crazy. Um, all those beautiful men I was cutting out of my life because they had dark skin. Yeah, it's a sad story. Yep, <laughs> you're a living example of the the saying, isn't it? Once you go black, you never go back. <laughs> that's what that's what you said to me at the cafe. It's true. It's true. It's true in my yep. case. So I've, got, so I've, got, I've got no hope, <laughs> um, you know, generally. Yeah. So, I mean, I think like there is, you know, some optimism to be had around this whole, you know, topic of prejudice and discrimination. Like, you know, I, I'm 30. When I was growing up, it was, you know, a huge thing if, you know, it was still a huge thing if someone came out as being gay and like no one really did in high school at all. But now you've got kids who are quite openly you know, open about their sexuality and, yeah. and it's not, it's not even a non-issue really. Yeah. Like it's just, it's just oh, it's normal because, and because you've got gay couples who have kids and yep. all that sort of stuff. But, I, you know, wonderful. I think, I think we're probably going to be having conversation. I'm probably going to be having a conversation with my son at one point being like, yeah, no, it was like the year before you were born that gay marriage was legalized. Yeah. Know? Which 100%. sounds so... But old school and ancient. Yeah. Well, when the vote was going through with my kids, they were just dumbfounded at how we were even voting on it. Mm. They were like, why can't, like, what love is love. They were just, it was just a non-issue for them. Yeah. And sometimes we'll watch something on TV, like, you know, how you're seeing ads now on TV and you'll have a gay couple. There's this one in particular that I'm thinking of where two guys are sitting in the car and they've just gotten engaged and they ring their parents to tell them or bring one of their parents and watch that ad um, with the whole family. And the kids are just like, oh, that's so lovely. And Troy and I are looking at each other going, wow, TV has come a long way with mm. attitudes towards that. You know, the prejudice is just slowly dissipating. But with our kids, they're like, Meh. it's just normal. It's yeah. absolutely normal to them, which is wonderful. Mm, it is. They don't bat an eyelid. Yeah. <laughs> so you... Um, because Troy had retired, you never kind of had to go through the, you know, the WAG label at all? Like, um, or, oh, he, or... he played Waffle. So he went back to sure. Captain Perth Football Club. Yeah, cool. At the year after he retired. So, yeah, yeah in that way, I was, I was yeah. a, a Waffle WAG. <laughs> yeah. I'm interested to know 
you know, did you, have you kind of, because you've been incredibly successful in your own right. And I think we're about to get to that in a minute, but like, have you ever had to deal with sort of the, the label of like, oh, former Frio Dockers. Oh yeah. Well, even you know, when Troy they, Cook's wife, yeah. you know, kind of got that label instead of just being yep. Tamara Cook. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. When I did that newspaper article, like I said, it was just an op-ed. I, I mentioned, I don't think I mentioned my husband's name. In fact, I'm sure I didn't mention my husband's name. I just said that I was married to a man who was Aboriginal. Mm. Um, but when they put it on the front page, it was wife of former football, yeah, uh, former Fremantle staff, Troy Cook. And then when it went on social media, oh, the backlash was all about, oh, another wag wants her 15 minutes of fame. Who even is she? Another footballer's wife just, you know, spouting out off. Is all about that. And mm. people, I'm sure, hadn't even read the article, but they yeah. were just condemning me because I was a footballer's wife. And, yeah, that was – it doesn't really bother me because I'm, I'm, you expect it of the West Aust- or parts of the West Australian community. It's, mm-hmm. as, it's expected, mm. honestly. But, yeah, it, it's frustrating. Most things I do, I don't – like if I meet new people, I don't mention who he is, especially – if they're, a f- I know they're an AFL fan. I won't <laughs> yeah. mention that yeah, my husband sure. played footy because it does. They they suddenly the conversation will turn, or they'll look at me in a different light. And I do want to stand on my own merits. Yeah, um, with what I do. Oh, so. and I think you do. You know, and I think everyone does stand on their own two feet. But it's um, I wanted to ask because it kind of plays again into that obsession with like labels that society has at the moment which has been an interesting theme so far of the conversation yeah um yeah and the rise of the wag has been pretty interesting to watch yeah um a lot of women have yeah they've capitalized on it and and good on them they have they've just really brought their skill set to the limelight via and maybe not even intentionally but it's happened via their husband because they've got that platform yeah yeah yeah, you gotta you gotta take what you get in life. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Run with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we were talking about how successful you've been on your own two feet in your own right, and um, uh, thank you. Yeah. Well, like, tell us about your events company because it's been how long have you been running the company for now? For oh, thirteen years. Oh, that's yeah. huge. So. It's funny the way that you've asked these questions because everything comes back to that pivotal moment of going to Kenya for me. So, yeah, I held myself back for so many years because I just couldn't figure out my own identity. I didn't know I was was attached to relationships for a very long time. I had long-term relationships all through my teens and 20s. Mm -hmm. And then... um, yeah, so I just I had really low self-esteem, basically. And then when I went to Kenya, met my other half of my family, sort of figured out who I was, I feel like I had a really late coming of age, mm. um, in a sense. At 29, you say? 29. So yeah. I got the landed the docker's job and said, I'm just going to go on a, a little holiday first. <laughs> Can I start after that? And they said yes. Um, so it was only three weeks that I went to Kenya. But, yeah, I came back a new person. And so I went into this role at the Dockers, which I absolutely loved, and cut my teeth on full-time event management because I'd sort of dabbled in it all of my hospitality career, but I hadn't done a full-time events role. So I did that at the Dockers and that's just 
insanely full of pressure. It's mm. just you're doing on game days, you're running eight dining rooms and there could be a thousand people in one dining room, 200 in the next, 600 in the next, 50 in the next in the, like a real VIP suite. They're all simultaneously running. So you've got eight run sheets and eight MCs and eight uh, guest speakers going in. So And, wow. and then there's the game. Yeah. So <laughs> it's a huge juggernaut when it comes to events. And then through the week, you're doing a whole lot of other events as well. You've got your gala balls and fundraisers and um, season openers and yeah. best and fairest medals. And they're all, you know, upwards of a thousand people. Wow. Black tie. So, yeah, I really, it was an awesome training ground for me. Learned a lot. I was there um, two years. And in the second year, I started Known Associates events because um, I just wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to do, I had a really great network. Uh, I knew a lot of people. I was out all the time. I love to party. So I'm in the right industry. <laughs> I love a drink. I love socializing. I, I love that. being at the opening of new things. Yeah. And yeah, I love just being in amongst it. Yeah. So yeah, at that age at 30, 29, 30, I was just on fire and wanted to put on my own events. I learned this great basis of, and structure of how to hold a really good event through mm. um, working at the Dockers. And yeah, so I started uh, started that up as my side hustle. Yeah, and did both. So I was working full time, and then yeah, started running my own. And I just put on. So the first event that I did was a um, New Year's Day event. It was around the time when the Perth Cup was really hot. Like everyone went to the hot in both ways. Like hot, heat, hot. Sure. You'd go and it'd be forty degrees, and you'd be dressed to the nines. But like also, the, it was like the only event going in Perth on New Year's Day. Yeah. yeah, everyone loved going out New Year's Day, which I've never really understood because Perth's weather is so beautiful in December. So you, night times are luscious. Like I don't even know why we did that in the <laughs> in the heat of summer. You'd go out dressed to the nines and just drip with sweat. But anyway, that was the thing. That was the trend. So I was yeah. like, okay, let's do a New Year's Day event. There was one other that was on, which was the Cuban Club. Yeah. That's still running to this date. So I put that event on and, yeah, that took all my spare time and energy outside of the Dockers to to run that. And the whole idea around it was I'd donate any proceeds of the event to charity. Wow. And that was yeah, that was how Known Associates began with all our all our events. So from there, we did um, like movie premieres, Sex and the City, when that first came out on the the big screen. That was huge. So I did the biggest movie prem in Perth. Wow. Um, yeah, and just moved on to other events that I dreamed up and sold tickets and donated proceeds to various charities. When did it transition to a a business where you were actually making money? Um, so I. Fell pregnant not long after my first event um, and went on mat leave from the Dockers. And I, it was during that period that I realized Known Associates was quite viable. Mm. But I still, I hadn't set it up to make money. It wasn't um, the essence of why I wanted to start a company. I wanted yeah. to start a company to do my own thing and I wanted to give back yeah. to the community. So, yeah, making money was like neither here nor there. But when I went on mat leave, I suddenly had, apart from having a brand new baby, <laughs> had a whole lot more time on my hands to to develop that business. Yeah. Um, and Crazy. then I started to have people come to me and want me to consult to them. So that's where it began. Sure. Where I started to take. But I still didn't, I didn't pay myself a wage for 10 years. Whoa. Mm. 
Whoa. <laughs> like, it's only the last four years. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So when Without we became a like... company, I was a sole trader for ages. And then, yeah, when we became a company, I I started paying myself a wage. Wow. It just wasn't so, my motiv- motivation. That's the word I was looking for. So it just was not my motivation. I mean, you weren't, you weren't paying yourself a wage, but you were taking profit from the, the business. I mean, the business sustained then. itself 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, yeah, you know, as a sole trader, it would pay for my petrol and things yeah, like that. And, um, sure. Yeah. We avoid tax as much as we can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Legally. Yeah. yeah. But it was, uh, yeah, it just wasn't my motivation to run a business yeah. that was for profit in the beginning. And then, cool. yeah, I got to a point where I was like, okay, a lot of people want my services. Mm. Um, let's do it. So yeah. I turned it into a company and, yeah. Haven't looked back since. Now Amazing. we've got six. Well, before COVID, there were six of us. So we've got five, four staff now and yeah. an intern. And um, is it um, is it ramping back up? You know, since COVID, because I mean, we, you know, you were saying COVID hit. I mean, your events company is kind of like events travel. Mm, a couple of other industries were just like wiped. Shut down. Yeah, we shut down for three months. Yeah. Um, I didn't know if the doors would reopen, but mm. we have and. Yeah, I mean it's really it's looking really positive. We're in the luckiest situation being in yeah. Western Australia, so it's nothing like it was before. Don't get me wrong. And JobKeeper is a godsend. That's yeah. really kept us going. As soon as that kicked in, we could come back to work and start um, diversifying our skills. So we looked at doing a lot more marketing, graphic design, all the things that we do that go into live events, but sure. we just did them um, in an isolated sort of in isolated projects rather than leading towards a live event. Mm. So that's been really good because we've um, learnt new avenues that we can monetize and, yeah. and the girls have still been employed. Yeah. Yeah, the team is great. And that, that my main goal now is to keep them all employed. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm always looking at different revenue streams. and But in, t- in terms of events coming back, they are. Yeah. Yeah. The problem is it all feels very tentative. So we can put in all the work for a major event and set that, you know, you've got a long lead time for an event, maybe three, six, 12, 18 months out, depending on the size of the event. So we start them off, but we know that there's this feeling of like it could be cancelled. You know, Mm. if you look at what's happening in Melbourne and you just think, yeah, we're doing it all and we're going ahead and the money's being spent, the planning's being done but it could be cancelled and yeah. there's nothing we can do about that. Yeah. So, yeah, it feels a little bit tentative and yeah, unstable. I feel like we could have a whole hour talking about COVID, but yeah. <laughs> the different opinions yeah, on that. Not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'll go down the rabbit hole some other time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, in WA in Perth particularly, we're pretty safe and yeah, yeah, we're definitely, and people are loving being at events. Yeah. They just light up and yeah. It's, yeah. it's definitely been missed and it's definitely necessary. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed a couple of events I've been, you know, looking at going to, just been booking out so quickly because um, mm. there's nowhere else to go, <laughs> nothing yeah, else to do. No, people so people are desperate for all, live music yeah, and connection. Making, and... making the most of Perth, which feels good, kind of. Like it, Yeah. you know, there's definitely, I, I can't wait to get on a plane and go overseas, honestly, yeah. but. It does feel good just to almost like have that choice removed a little bit and be like, you know, what? I've been saying I mean, I'm going to go up to Broome for like 10 years and I haven't been, yeah. I've never been to Kununurra. I've always wanted to go like, 
just now's go. the time because I'm not going anywhere else. So, yep. Yeah. You and the rest of WA. Exactly. <laughs> will be yeah, there. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can't buy a um, caravan in WA at the moment. They're just wow. sold out. Yeah. Everywhere. Okay. Hilarious. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's a bit, I mean, there's things everywhere like that happening. Obviously, accommodation. I'm going up to Coral Bay in, in uh, a month's time, and like there was. Lovely. I booked a, booked a month ago and there was like one or two rooms left in Coral Bay. Just yeah. managed to get in. So Yeah, that'd be awesome. I haven't been there. I'd love Never. to. Yeah. Oh, man, it's like probably one of my favorite places in Western Australia. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's the great thing about what's happened is people really understand how beautiful our state actually is. Yeah. And you think about spending thousands on going overseas and you might spend the same amount here. <laughs> Definitely will. But it's worth it. It is worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that drive like up the coast or down the coast or inland, it's, it's beautiful. Like we have, we live in a beautiful place and I think, yeah, we've all become so accustomed to going to Bali that it's, Mm. it's nice to. But I love Bali. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love the Balinese people. Yeah. Same. I've got, I've definitely got, I've got a few friends living there and I'm like, that wouldn't be such a bad place to get isolated in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how did you go like handling basically a whole business being wiped out overnight it was devastating Mm. yeah it was it literally was over the period of a week from monday to friday we went in on monday thinking oh we might have to start working remotely like working from our office remote uh taking our office remote and then so that was monday and then by friday we just closed we just gone from, okay, we just have to work from Zoom to we don't have a business. I had to stand down all my team. No one had a job. Shut the doors on the office. Crazy. And, yeah, and we just were at home thinking, yeah, for me, I was just, it was it was super frustrating because, you know, when you built something up for 13, 14 years mm. and then it's taken away from you through no fault of your own, and we were on fire in 2019. Like mm. I was ready to put on another staff member. Events were just going crazy. We were, it was a re- there was a real momentum mm. happening. And so it was just flooring that that would happen. But my team are amazing. We stayed in contact every week, at least once a week. And we'd jump on Zooms and just chat, just yeah. talk about what was going on. I'd ask them, you know, lots of them, a couple of them went back to their parents' houses. Yeah. and. Yeah, we just we stayed buoyant and positive and we kept putting out social media just telling people what what we were doing and how we were feeling and how it was affecting our industry and that I've been told since was a really good reflection of our company culture. Mm. Because and it's just the way we are and the way that we we are a little bit like family. We love what we do. So it doesn't ever feel like we're working. Yeah, and we realized even without being able to do what we do, we still had that connection and ability to stay together as a team, even from our separate houses and just keep each other, yeah, buoyed, I guess. And, yeah. What um, did you do, positive. like personally, during the, I read, the lockdown? Yeah, I read and I walked. I walked so much that I had groin pains. <laughs> I love oh, walking. Really? So, yeah, um, I did, yeah, had a bit of muscle damage there because I was just walking for at least two hours a day. Wow. But I, yeah, I love reading. What and did you so read? I, uh, oh, God, everything. I've got from books on, I've got this book called Africa that's about that thick that goes through the history of Africa in the last 50 years. Wow. But I am a suck of a crime novel, so I yeah. love. I just I would read about three crime novels a week, and um, 
biographies and yeah, quite diverse what was, range actually. What was the book that like stood out the most, you enjoyed the most? There was one author, which here's the story. Her name's Dervla McTiernan. So she's Irish and mm-hmm. she writes about a police station. So it's Irish crime novels, all set in Ireland in Dublin and Galway. And um, yeah, I read her first book and she had three out and I just divulged it straight, straight away. And she, I was telling another friend, I was telling everyone I knew about these books. So um, The Ruin was the first one I read. And I was telling one of my friends and she goes, oh, she's one of my school mums. And I went, what? Yeah, that was the face I had. Like, yeah. what do you mean? She's Irish. She lives in Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, no, she used to, but now she lives in Perth and no she's way. one of my school mums. <laughs> Crazy. And I said, I'm coming to pick up your kids. <laughs> <laughs> with you on Friday. Yeah, so she lives in sunny Perth and she's this amazing writer. Wow. And one of the books has been optioned for a Hollywood movie with Colin Farrell Whoa. playing the lead role. So That's awesome. Yeah, I thought that was pretty exciting. So, yeah, I'm fangirling so that one. hard. I'm going to go find her. She's yeah. In she's in the northern suburbs somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> oh, so you haven't met her yet? Nope. Nah. But I will. Just, it's on my list. Yeah, sneak into your friend's car for school pickup. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, she's such a good writer. But I, So I want to write my story. I've always wanted to write a book. And I, yeah. I started writing at uni and I started The Coconut Complex, I called it. When I was at uni, so I definitely want to write that one day. So I think mm. I, at the moment I'm just reading as much as I can to just, you know, reading makes you a better writer, but I've also got to start writing. But that's a yeah story. I was yeah. supposed to be in, in France for a writer's retreat this year. Ah, oh, that's right. You said that. Whereabouts in France? It's in the south, Confalon. Yeah, okay. Mm. That's another place I want to travel to. Like yeah. I've, I've uh, someone I follow is there right now and I'm just like, oh, it looks amazing. Yeah. 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 I can't wait. Tried to get to France so many times. It's never happened. Yeah. <laughs> One day. <laughs> when it's meant to. Yeah. What's um what's next for you? Like what's on your if you have a vision board, you know, what what's kind of cuz you said when we caught up, you said, yeah, I have these moments where I'm like besides covid, yeah, I'm like really living my dream now. Mm. So, what is do you, do you just keep doing what you're doing? Is there more no, I I get bored pretty easily, so I've yeah. always got um, my eyes on another project. Turn your hair blue. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that might be harder for me than you, but yeah, I'll try. <laughs> my daughter would in a heartbeat. She loves blue. Anyway, so we started just before uh, COVID happened, I started a new business with my husband called Known Associates yeah. Australia, so a sister company to Known Associates. Um, which has a focus on Indigenous, working with other Indigenous businesses within the event scope, so graphic designers, caterers, things like that, and bringing Indigenous uni students or TAFE students, tertiary students, through my internship program. So they would work on the Known Associates Australia side of the, in that company, Mm -hmm. and, yeah, learn that skill set of event management. Cool. Because the thinking behind that was, a, the company is owned by Troy, so it's 100% Indigenous owned, which is, there's a big push for that because it's not, that's quite a rare thing for Indigenous people to own, be company owners in Australia. So that was important for us. B, it was to show the kids a pathway for someone who is in their culture and how, how you can dream big and be your own boss. Yeah. And then thirdly, it was to give, Indigenous people, because Troy works with so many Indigenous youth, 
and um, yeah, there's a lot of lack of confidence within within a lot of people in the community. So we really wanted to provide a platform to specifically encourage and welcome them and train them in uh, event management skills. And you know, Aboriginal culture lends itself to event management anyway. So it's storytelling and mm. dancing and music and yeah. yeah, togetherness is that's events. So that if you have that sort of cultural background, you're going to succeed in events anyway. Yeah. So that's our thinking with that. Yeah, amazing. So, yeah, so that's our latest project, and then yeah, there's a few yeah few others on the back burner. The book is definitely I've got to start that one day. Yeah, maybe t- they say um, yesterday was the best day to start anything. <laughs> <laughs> Today's the next best day. My problem with writing the book <laughs> is... that's advice to myself as well. <laughs> I'm not preaching to you. No, well you've done it. You're doing lots of stuff. Great, but my problem with the book is I want to write a crime novel. <laughs> Oh yeah. I want to write what I read, but I also want to tell my story about identity. So I'm trying to weave those two together to have like a really juicy, page-turning, exciting book that has a moral story of identity and finding your place in the world within that. So I'm just trying to figure that out. So he's telling your story, the themes of your story, without actually talking about yourself. Mm, Or or will you be a character in the book? I haven't worked it out yet. Okay. I think I'd have to be a character yeah. in the book, but my mum meeting my dad and that transcontinental story is quite exciting. So yeah. I think that would be a big a big part of it. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then weaving in my life, I'm just trying to figure out what are the exciting bits that would be yeah. good to put in. Working on cruise ships, I think, is part of it because people find that quite yeah. intriguing. When did you do that? Um, in my, I was 25, my mid twenties. Cool. Yeah. That was awesome in the Caribbean. It was just a, yeah, it was the love boat. It was an absolute fuck fest. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Good place to be at 25, I suppose. Yeah. It was fun with people from all over the world. So yeah, there's lots of stories I could tell. Yeah, sure. Um, about all the little relationships that went on and yeah. Yeah. So it's fun. Anyway, yeah, I awesome. digress. Yes. <laughs> um, well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Yeah. What, what do you, uh, one question I always like finishing off with is what, what do you find most interesting about yourself? <sighs> mm, I don't know. <laughs> the most interesting thing about me. Well, it's what, what you find interesting about yourself. Hmm. My inability to speak when I'm put on the spot. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Great answer. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I think you may have asked me this before. I probably gave the same answer, but just my love of people. Yeah. I just, it's insatiable. Uh-huh. I love hearing people's stories. I love being around other people and... Yeah. yeah, so if I'm not doing it face-to-face, then I'm reading mm. other people's stories. So, yeah. yeah, curious person, I guess. Yeah, amazing. Mm. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. It's been um, yeah, a real pleasure catching up and having this conversation. And My pleasure, Alex. Yeah. You're an interesting person. You're a very interesting person. I think you're very accomplished. <laughs> and you. Yeah, I think it's great, all the things that you do. Thank you. Yeah, it's exciting. Thanks for having I've, me as a part of it. Yeah, thank you. I feel like I'm just getting started, you know, like at 30. I'm like... Yeah. Wait till you get you to your 40s. They're the best. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I've been saying like this, this decade is going to be the best decade of my life. And I'm like, I'll probably say that in 10 years again. So. Yeah, you will. <laughs> all, all perspective and, you know, what we choose to see, I think. So, yeah. Yeah. 30s are for figuring it out. 40s are for enjoying it. Oh, so, so everything I think I've figured out already, I definitely haven't figured out. Is that what you're telling me? No. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> oh, awesome. Thanks so much for, for joining me. And um, yeah, we'll see you soon. Pleasure. That's it for episode 13 of the Alex Waters Show. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to hit the subscribe button wherever you're tuning in to this. You can find Tamara. Um, and her business at Known Associates Events on Instagram. And also connect with me on Instagram at Alexander Waters. And we also have an Instagram now for uh, the at the Alex Waters Show. So um, yeah, jump on there. Be sure to follow me. Love to get feedback about what's what's going on in the show and your thoughts on it. And uh, I will see you next week.